0: I'll tell you what, uh, worship can be so frustrating to my soul. Like, Joel is such a frustrating guy to me. <laughs> like, sometimes I look at him up there, I'm like, man, that guy, he just hacks me off. And you know why? Because I realize the incapacity of my body to worship our Father into what he's leading me into. it frustrates me. My body's being frustrated this morning. I'm feeling kind of sick too. So I got a a little cough in the back of my throat that's like developing. I'm like, Father, I'm trying to give you the high praises that you're worthy of. And my body's not getting in line with me. It's sick. It's pervaded by sin and it's dying. I hate this. And he says, Peace, be still. Your light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, are nothing in comparison to the weight of glory that will be revealed in you. And so this morning, I was frustrated by our brother Joel. He's such a passionate guy. He sees He sees our father's heart. Um, Our father has captured his heart. And Joel has a keen eye for its beauty and for what it's worth. And he longs to lead a people in worship before the throne. Worship that is appropriate for our father's glory. And it frustrates me. And it's good. Jesus had words for us when he called his disciples on on the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes through all these things and, and he says that people people are blessed in certain states as he goes he goes through the list and he starts out, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit as being a leader, I would think the people that I'm calling to follow me, I don't think I would start out with blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And blessed is the guy who walks around and stares at his shoes like he's mealy mouthed. He spends a lot of time in his in his prayer closet. He spends more time in secret than he does in the limelight. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't get that. I don't understand. And he just keeps talking crazy talk. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When are you guys hungry? Like, when do you feel hunger the most? It's when you're at a lack. I mean, you've worked, you've played yourself out. You're on your, your last mile of three miles of five-strand barbed wire fence. Anybody been there with me? You've worked through the heat of the day. The days seem a lot longer the sun isn't going down till 10 and you're trying to make hay while it's day. You're like, man, there's not a lot of time to sleep and a lot more time that needs work. And you get hungry. Your body gives out. You get thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they will be filled. There's a promise for filling. And God, God has given me a gift of mercy. I love to walk in it and I've misunderstood it for a lot, of, a lot of years. And mercy loves to come into a situation and create tension. Like mercy, some of the great mercies of history have been David, have been Jonathan, um, firebrand of men, that they come, they lament, they tear their souls, they rend their hearts rather than their clothes, and they're always running back and forth in front of people, yelling and screaming and dancing naked and embarrassing people. I wear my emotions on my sleeves. Um, and I love to come into, into circumstances and scream, this is messed up. Um, there's no peace here. We see, see David and Jonathan, they would always, they'd always come into circumstances and they'd say, there is no peace here. Like, who is this giant taunting the, the armies of Israel, you know? And they would say, there's no peace to keep here because peace left a long time ago. If you're trying to keep peace, save your strength because there's none left. And I won't um, voice those as they voiced them because I don't want to blow the speakers and scare you. But they would point out that the goodness of God, whatever was in this environment that we've enjoyed of God, is no longer here. Let's stop looking to it. We're going, there's no peace to be kept, and so we're going to go make peace. And mercies would rise up and lead people to war. And so Paul has an admonition for those who have the gift of mercy. And says, if you have the gift of mercy, let them, if you are gifted with the gift of mercy, let them do it cheerfully. Let them do it cheerfully. And So I missed that for a number of years. And I caused people a lot of heartache because I would run into a circumstance in my immaturity. And my foolishness—I would stir up tension, but I would never create a cheerful attitude. I never did it in a cheerful attitude. I would just stir it up and then run. And so, the beauty of a mercy gifting is one that comes and calls attention to a, an issue or something that besets us. But as in, like a seventh tone: do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. Tension. Do. I love telling people about the dough. I love telling people about the eighth tone. And so this morning I got to experience that, and I was led into that ministry by Joel. He led me to this tension before the throne that made me so hungry for heaven I wish I could die. My father, I just wish I could die and come to you right now. This is so beautiful. Worshiping with your people. Telling you of how great you are. Being in awe. Through power, I just want to be with you where you are. I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty, I feel like I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, my body starts kicking back. I can't, can't sing. I send my wife out to the car to get me cough drops. And so my desire this morning, guys, is to create tension in your soul. I want to create tension. I want to build a hunger in you for God's ways such that you would hunger so much after his heart that your desire to be with him where he is would inspire you to accept death joyfully. That you would say, Father, man, I wish I could die to come and be with you right now. Honestly, the only way that my day could get better right now is if I died. That's the only way, and it would be a lot of fun. And so my desire is to, like Joel's guitar, create tension that's balanced in the spirit. It's not too tight. It's not too loose. It's perfectly tensioned to the heart of God, and that he can have his revelation in it as he pinches up and down the neck and makes these beautiful songs of worship in our lives. So my desire is that we could be more in tune with God's Spirit by the time we leave here. And for that, we need His presence. I cannot do that. So I'd like to pray and invite Him to be here with us. Heavenly Father, we so love You. Your ways are altogether lovely. They aren't our ways. They're high above ours. But Father, you speak your love for us. You speak your desire for us. You complete the impossible by revealing your ways to us. You're not hiding our lives from us. You're hiding our lives for us. So that we can know of the joy of discovering Christ that we can have it revealed in our hearts that he is relentlessly pursuing us. So, Father, I pray that you would reveal more of our life to us this morning. Reveal more of your ways to us so that we can be more in love with you, that it would inspire us, give us passion to run after you, to long for death with joy and freedom so that we can walk in your life and in your perfection. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come here and that you would do that. Impart the impossible to us. Pour out your good gifts. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So my wife and I, as Matt said, uh, serve with Envision. Uh, and Envision is the short, short-term missions branch of the Alliance um, you guys are well aware of the Alliance, obviously. Uh, it's a great commission fund and our mission efforts around the world. And so, Envision has been uh, a recent addition to the Alliance in that, um, in history, a lot of you guys are going to hear this maybe for the third time since you're with me in Sunday school. We have some new people. Um, but the Great Commission Fund has done missions for years and years and has done a wonderful job of it. They've had a very strong. Um, model for sending out the gospel around the world, ministering to the lost, but also ministering to those who are going to seek the lost. Uh, But a a weakness within this very strong model has been an opportunity for people to engage in short-term missions. Uh, The process to get into a great commission-funded position as a missionary has been very difficult Um, as many as 10 years. uh, And then sometimes once people would go through that process, get into the mission field, Would find out, wow, this is a lot different than I thought it was, uh, and sometimes would fault out because of being disillusioned. It was there was some weaknesses in the model, and so our leaders of the alliance saw a wonderful opportunity in AY mission um, to to merge those together into a a ministry that is now headed under Envision. Uh, Envision gives people opportunities to go overseas and to uh, experience short term missions. and so my wife and I are serving for a year and a half commitment. Uh, Richard Molinax is a pastor that's up in Chester, Montana. And he's the director. He's back on home, on home assignment right now. Now we're going to get to see him in a few days. Uh, but he's the director down there. So we uh, met him a couple, uh, about a year ago, and talked to him about the ministry that he was doing down in Envision. So what does that look like? Um, and we told him we want to have... Um, A mission experience. We want to see what foreign ministry is like. Uh, My wife has a vision for foreign ministry. I'm open to serving anywhere in the world, but we don't know what that looks like. Um, But we would like to experience that. Uh, We would like to come and spend time with you. So Richard said, yeah, sure, come on down. Um, Amongst other things. And so he said, uh, we prayed about it and found that God was leading our heart in that direction. And so, uh, eight months ago on Friday, uh, we flew down to El Salvador and jumped in both feet in ministry to envision what god has for us to envision to allow him to speak into our lives and create tension what is this thing that we call mission and how does it serve in advancing his kingdom on earth Um, and so envision gives those opportunities Uh, we're there for a year and a half other teams come down for maybe eight to ten days Uh, some interns come for a month three months Our longest that we have with us right now is signed up for two years. And so they have this extended period of time to spend with God in a foreign environment that creates tensions like crazy. There's nothing like a foreign environment to to ratchet up um, your tension level. You start a new job. You don't know how you're supposed to interact with your boss. You don't know his desires. Your first day of work, you're nervous. Uh, My brother got married on Friday uh, he's 34 years old. His bride is 34 as well. This is their first marriage. Um, and they're going to engage in a little bit of tension. Trying to figure out how, how does 34 years of singleness and 34 years of singleness, how does that merge in a unified ministry? Uh, they, their hearts are stayed on God. They're going to do fine. Um, but anytime that we start anything new, it creates tension. And so we avoid it oftentimes Uh, Because we don't like that feeling in our souls where we're getting stretched, and so we're always trying to keep the tension down. You know, we just we try to stay in circles that are comfortable. We try to stay in stuff where we where we can control the environment and where we can uh, keep things at bay that are unpleasant to us. But like with Joel's guitar, without without it being tensioned perfectly, it's it's not going to work. It's not going to be in tune with the bass. Uh, it's not going to be, he can't expect where it's going to be in his voice. It has to have tension. And so sometimes we go to the o- opposite extreme. And we say, well, we need to tension things. And we, so there's people out of passion, you know, those prophetic types. And they just start wrenching on stuff, you know. And they just, they start breaking stuff and things too tight. And they just, they walk around too tight, you know. Um, that's not what we want to do either. Uh, in the spirit, he balances halfway between crisis and chaos between the controlled and the uncontrolled, and there's this perfect place of peace in his presence and provision that we walk this middle line of joy with him as we experience him leading us forward by the hand. And so before I left, before I left to go to Envision, uh, I was a youth pastor for five years. I have a master's in youth ministry. Um, I did my master's thesis on discipleship, and I knew everything I knew how to do this game. I can do this, Um, I thought. And so God started revealing to me, Elijah, you're very poor. You think you're rich, but you don't realize that you're naked, poor, blind, wretched. And I have a rebuke for you. You've forgotten your first love. Elijah, remember the height. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You've done well. You've resisted, you've lived a, a faithful life, but remember the heights from what you have fallen. Remember and do the things that you did at first, or else I'll come and I'll take my lampstand. That was a very sorrowful message to hear from my, from my brother and my bridegroom king. But he speaks those messages so, so gently. His leadership is so perfect. But he started giving me good discipline before I went he let me see it by faith so that my heart wouldn't, wouldn't faint. I knew that I was going to El Salvador to be broken. I told people, I said, as you're thinking about supporting me, don't support me because you think I'm a super saint. I'm not, he's not taking me there because I'm a super saint. He knows that I'm too weak to stay here. He sees that faith is being so medicated out of my life as a minister in the church that I'm losing my capacity for pleasing his heart. Hebrews 11.6 that says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so God could see that in my heart that faith was slowly being medicated out by methodology. I had all my methods. I had all my models. But I wasn't walking in an environment that was actively causing me to thrust myself upon who God was. I was always trying to look at what God would do What would God do? What are you going to do? And it was just so confusing to me. How many of you feel... Here's tension. How many of you feel that things are getting out of whack in the United States? I'll take that as an amen. (laughs) Like, we, we feel it, right? We see it in our souls. We look at the political situation. We look at the state of our society. We look at the choices that are people looking. We look at the media... We just, we look at all of these indicators and we feel overall in the United States, we're like, man, things are out of whack here. Things are going downhill. We're in for some dark times, you know. And it it starts creating tension in our souls. And so we start looking, well, what, what do we do? How do we address this foe? And we start looking to our sword. Saul was the anointed leader of God's people. But he looked more to his sword than he looked to the Lord, and it was his downfall. There was a giant that taunted him, and it was a giant he had never faced. There was so much riding on that one victory with that one giant that everybody was crippled. How do we, how do we fight this guy? And they start making offers and boasts, and if you do this, I'll do that for you. And you know, how are we going to do this? And all of a sudden, this punk kid named David shows up whose ear and heart is bent on the person of God. He's not looking to what should we do. He's looking to who do I know. He's like, I faced lots of stuff that was impossible for me. I can't beat up bears. I can't fight lions. Who of you here has ever tangled with a lion in one? Like I even took the lamb back and I looked at the lion. and I said, lion, you're welcome. I'll let you live and I started walking away. But when he chased me, well, then I killed him. You know, I tried to offer mercy to that guy, but he wouldn't take it. Like I didn't do that. God did that. And that fool out there is mouthing off to God. Like, you think he's taunting you. You think he's taunting the people of Israel. But I'm telling you, he's talking like a fool. Because in his heart, he said, there's no God other than me. And God's going to show up, and he's going to win the day. And you, O Saul, and all the people of Israel will know this day that the battle belongs to the Lord, not to the sword so God could see that that was starting to happen in my heart. He was starting to see that I was looking to my sword. I was trusting in my sword and not in the Lord. And he said, I need you to be David. I think so perfectly robs our hearts of peace and of joy in the spirit than when we forget God's impossible ways. He said they're impossible. No amount of people getting behind you, no amount of swords on your side are going to complete impossible plans. And in God's impossible ways invites us to the most peace because he said they're impossible plans. That releases really God's heart to be a heart of pure desire And pleasure. There's not one speck of need in the heart of God. It frees him to perfect, perfect desire and pleasure for us. There's nothing riding on us. He just looks down and he says, I want you. I want that guy. And, oh, he's cool. It's pleasure. He reaches down and he scoops us up for his pleasure. And then he says, here's your impossible task. Please my heart. Because without the provision of Christ, we can't do that. We cannot please the heart of God without the provision of Christ. And he's given it to us. And so we have an enemy rising, friends. We have an enemy rising. And it's not politics. It's not the world order as we would consider it. There is a giant foe that is being trained up from old in the arts of weaponry and warfare that we have no idea how to tangle with. And this foe has studied you. He's studied your going ins. He's studying your going outs. He knows your thoughts, everything that you've said up to this point backwards. He has minions everywhere, and he's uniting in a cause to taunt. God's people. No one knows how to face this foe. No one's been trained in that warfare. All the leaders who have been trained in warfare up until this point with methods and methodologies cannot face this foe. It takes keeping our eyes centered on God. Going out like David and saying, ah, this guy, he's silly. He's fun. You want to dance? Come on, sucker. i got a piece of dead rawhide and a rock with your name on it that God is going to drive in your forehead, and you're going down, son. <laughs> and you can go out to it. There is the cheerfulness. And so we are facing an enemy in the United States that's larger than anything that we've ever seen before. It's quicker. It's, it's smarter. There's more information. It's embedded more in our lives through technology and just sucking us down than we've ever known before. Um, but there's hope. God is at the helm. Don't worry, America. Like, the church is not going to hell in the handbasket. Jesus isn't going to let that happen to his bride. But there is a photo face. And so God took me out. He knew I was too weak to stay because I, I was looking to what to do. How do we fight this? How do we make the church rise? And so he said, oh, I need to take my son to the desert. He needs some discipline. Hallelujah for discipline. Hardship is beautiful. Consider hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Hardship and discipline its the complements of God's love for us that he causes discipline to arise in our lives. So he let me see it by faith. He let me see the thing that was trapping me and snaring me, drawing me down and robbing my strength. And he said, I'm taking you to El Salvador to introduce you to your poverty and your brokenness, to help you regain your sight on me and to know of my power, to know of my strength, and to walk in it as my son in impossible ways, walking by faith and pleasing my heart. The opposite of the verse, it is impossible, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The mirror image of that is with faith, it is impossible not to please God. And he pours out the gift of faith into our hearts as a gift that we use to please his heart with. And so I have uh, a great desire for you guys. I love you guys. I don't know how I have an equal concern for you in the body. I don't know how you live up here in Glendive. I don't. I mean that sounds like a joke, but I don't know how you guys live here. In in just a, a constant life where there's this community that's all knit together and you've been here for so long and, and you do the same thing day in, day out. Like please hear my words. It's a compliment, it's a beautiful compliment. This is Christ's body here. And so the things that I face in El Salvador, I have a 24-hour armed guard outside of my house. I've seen my first three dead bodies. I've seen people in poverty so so poor that it just blows my mind. Young girls who are misused and abused from the time they're six to eight. And God has called me to love those people. Not just the young girl who's being abused. But to look at the abuser with the eyes of love and say, God has crafted you for his image. You are under a horrible bondage to sin. And God longs for you to be around his throne worshiping beside me. I'm going to give my life to keep you by my side, worshiping before the Father in heaven, because I need my worship to be bigger. That's the grace and faith that God has poured out into my heart. I don't expect you to come there and live the way that I do. But I, I look at your ministry field and I say, how do you guys live here? Man, God's grace to you and your faith, man, so beautiful. And so I come offering my strength, telling you of brokenness, of things that cause me pause and to wonder whether or not God is good. And I look and I say, Father, I, I see what you're doing And it's not matching up with your word and it causes me to be so disillusioned and disoriented in so many ways. But yet by faith, I'm going to call you good because you cannot deny who you are. You're faithful. And so he's pulling my eyes off of what he's doing and what's happening in the world around him and just to look to who he is. And as I discover who he is, then I know what to do. And you can't keep me from doing it. And so out of that, we're developing a ministry called Broken, that God has a desire for broken people. He desires the young, he desires the old, he desires the perpetrator and the victim. He has a heart for all men, and sinners are so attractive to him. And so out of this place of tension, this place of saying, my goodness, well, how do we face all of these issues and all the issues of brokenness, of poverty, and of Abuse and of violence in the world and the things that just seem to be getting worse. How do we strive for your glory? How do we do this? And he says, I have a heart for the broken. First, Elijah, I have a heart for you that he's bringing awareness to my brokenness and my, my poverty uh, through the power of his grace. And through that, he's inspiring a vision in us for broken people. So we have a ministry that we're starting uh, that seeks five different people groups, um, abandoned infants. Um, when ladies who are trapped in prostitution engaging in their work, they wind up producing babies. And that cuts in on their business, and so often they abandon them. And so there's children that grow up on the streets from like the age of four or five until they're eight by themselves. Um, they're abandoned. They don't know love. They're hurt. They're broken. Uh, and they... Without God's grace and intervention, we'll become the next perpetrators of brokenness for the next generations. And so we're starting with abandoned children, abandoned infants, taking them in, ministering to their needs. Next, we're going to seek after uh, impoverished families, impoverished and at-risk families, uh, people caught in addictions, um, women caught in sex sex trade and sexual trafficking, um, and finally gangsters and ex-prisoners. Uh, And we're going after them because they're beautiful to us. We need to throw ourselves at their feet. We have a desire to throw ourselves at their feet to learn from their brokenness and to be released to the joy with Christ of chasing them, of knowing what it's like to display God's grace for broken people so that we can understand his love for us more. So we're chasing broken people in El Salvador. Um, And my invitation to you guys Is don't be afraid, don't be afraid of the tension, don't be afraid of the danger. Look to the Father's heart, ask Him how He seeks people out, and say, Father, I want to chase broken people with you because here's my promise to you in Christ that as you go in faith, as you go in the heart and mind of Christ, empowered by His Spirit, to seek and to save the lost as He did, you will find a new revelation of Christ there. You'll find a new empowerment of his spirit that wasn't possible for you in your safe life boat aside from jumping on the water and going out to him. So I want to tell you of the tension bring awareness to who we're up against and the traps but then to be cheerful in saying friends, faith expressing itself in love is the only thing that counts. Fix your eyes on the impossible tasks around you in your community. Minister to the heart of God and bring pleasure to it. Don't walk in my ignorance. Don't walk in my weakness of previous ways. Step out in faith. With faith, it is impossible not to please the heart of God. Ask him to reveal it to you and then do what comes out of it. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you again for your ways, that they're altogether perfect. Your ways are so wise that they seem foolish to us. That you would ask us to die in order to have life. That you terrify us with the impossible to give us rest and peace. But, Father, they're so perfect because they so perfectly pr- protect us from pride while enabling the greatest presence of your spirit and of your provision to sustain us. Father, continue to open our eyes to see the beauty of your yoke, to see its lightness, and to see the rest that comes in taking it up in your spirit. Father, do not take us out of this world, but do protect us from the evil one. We love you so much, we can't wait to come and worship you face to face. Keep us faithful in this race. Don't let our hearts become weary to turn aside. but Let us embrace brokenness. Let us embrace brokenness, becoming meek and gentle, usable for your kingdom. We love you. and It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.